So today, we're going to reach a milestone, and it is simply this, that in September of 2016, we began in the book of Hebrews. I sensed the Lord asking us to spend time in that book when um, I was on sabbatical in 2016. Spent a lot of time in the book myself and just felt like, I think we need, to, we need to go into this. And so today, we are going to finish. As we are nearing the end of 2017, I also sensed that it was, we need to be done. So we've done some things in order to get done. We have by no means exhausted the book of Hebrews. That is, that is the truth. Now, I maybe have exhausted you as we've gone through Hebrews, but we haven't exhausted the book. And so what we're going to do this morning to begin is simply read the last section of the book that we have not yet touched on, and minimally, if you were with us for every single day, we will have read the entire book of Hebrews together. So, Jeff, if you would, Hebrews chapter 13, I'm just simply going to start in verse 17. Obey those who rule over you, and be submissive. For they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Pray for us, for we, can, we are confident that we have a good conscience in all things desiring to live honorably. But I especially urge you to do this, that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And I appeal to you, brethren, bear with the word of exhortation, for I have written to you in few words. Know that our brother Timothy has been set free, with whom I shall see you if he comes shortly. Greet all those who rule over you and all the saints. Those from Italy greet you. Grace be with you all. Amen. At the outset of this book, I, I pointed out that there are many who believe it was written by Paul, but there's nothing definitive that says Paul was indeed the author. So uh, I have held that as quite likely, and much of it is when you get to the end of the book, it sounds like Paul at the end of his books. And I go, this sounds like him. And, and uh, even his phrase of, uh, may the God of peace is something that's in his epistles. And, but there's nothing that says definitively. And uh, so we're, here, here we are. I find it absolutely fascinating that as this book is being wrapped up, and you'll recall that we have been through some deep landscape and we've entitled the series, uh, the entire series, as Timeless Certainties for Uncertain Times. We did that for a very particular reason. The last 18 months, in, at least in our country, have just felt like political turmoil at its, at its peak. And whether you like or not who's, who's in the presidency right now, there still is great division. There still is great turmoil. And um, uh, what we were trying to point out for ourselves is that as believers, one of the things we wanted to be clear on as believers, our hope is in Jesus Christ. We just sang about that. He is our all. We do not look to either political party or any political system to ultimately save us or resolve the problems in our world. It's never going to happen. 
with the wisdom and the understanding that men bring to the table. The only solution for mankind is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this book points that out. And as you will recall, there was, a, there was just a key phrase in this book speaking about uh, what we have as an anchor for the soul. And that's why I refer to this as timeless certainties for uncertain times. There is an anchor for the soul. And that anchor is in the person of Jesus Christ who brought, as again, we looked at it in detail, he brought a better covenant and he brought a better priesthood one that is eternal, one that is lasting, one that though he entered into his office as high priest and, and carried out one sacrifice as opposed to the other sacrifices that were carried out week after week, day after day, month after month, year after year, once. And then he sat down because one, the work was completed with the one perfect sacrifice from the, our eternal priest. It accomplished everything those other sacrifices were looking towards. But it also, as he sat down on the right hand of the Father, he's there not only because the work he has done is accomplished, but because he anticipates his next work. Until, as Scripture says, his enemies will be made his footstool. He's in a place of authority, awaiting God's future time plan when he returns and he does set all things right. And he puts down and suppresses man's endeavors, man's politics, man's religious views, man's uh, economic attempts, and he reigns for a thousand years and will rule from Jerusalem the world in righteousness. That's the anchor we have for our soul. This one who alone is our hope. So in this bit that we looked at today, I find it interesting that in verse 18, Paul, now here I have tipped my hand again, the writer to Hebrews, says, pray for us, for we're confident that we have good conscience. I especially urge you to do this, verse 19, that I may be restored to you the sooner. He asks for prayer. This is the prayer that I need. And part of it is because he wants to be in face-to-face fellowship with these people. He wants to gather with them and see them in this context. So he asks for prayer, but then, here's where we're going to spend our time, then he offers prayer for them. We would refer to it as a a benediction, but I see it as a prayer for these people, for his readers. Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, Make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And he leaves them with this prayer. What I find interesting is the prayer just is built entirely out of what he has been saying, and in fact, the prayer is built upon what we will be sharing in just a little bit. Notice he says, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead. That was his body is broken. We will be recognizing that in just a short while, that he was killed, his body broken on our behalf. That great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting 
covenant. We will be acknowledging that, will we not? These elements represent the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. It is in what he accomplished, what they represent about what he accomplished at Calvary's cross. That is our anchor for our souls. That is that thing that will sustain us, will hold true. And um, we, we know what it is. We know what it is. Some of us during 2017, we went through some really bumpy times as we look back. Some probably are looking back on 2017 saying, I mean, that was a tough year. I know people who consider 2017 as a tough year. Others are going, it was a great year. Everything went this way or that way. We all have tough years at some time, though. And the only thing that will hold up in all of that is this anchor for the soul. The only thing when eternity is ushered in that we will have to cling to is what we're saying about We got Jesus who died for us, our eternal high priest, and he will plead our case before the Father and we will be declared sinless because his righteousness will be ours. That's what the writer has been trying to call us to and help us to grasp throughout this epistle. The great shepherd of the sheep. This one who is calling us to himself. The blood of the everlasting covenant that was spilled so that we might be made right. He says, may he make you complete in every good work to do his will. The word complete there has with it the idea, may he prepare you, may he equip you, may he give you what is necessary in order to accomplish a task, a, a task in order to live out what he has for you. If you think about Ephesians uh, 2, 8, 9, we're, we're familiar with, for by grace you save through faith that not of yourselves it is gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But it goes on to say that for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which he has ordained beforehand, that we might walk in them. That our salvation is not simply something like, good, one day I die, I don't go to hell. No. We've been saved to be a part of God's redemptive plan that he wants to utilize us. He has things in which he wants us to be engaged right now. He is equipping us to be effective, that there are others who need to come to Christ, or, there, or I have brothers and sisters who are hurting. 2017 was a difficult year. And they look on it with sadness or, or the burdens of what it brought to them, and they're struggling. And, and he's equipping us how to minister to other people and how to care for one another within the body so that we might all move on to maturity, so that we might all come to that place where in Christ we are one with each other, we are one with him, and we are whole in ourselves. But notice that he, he prays that he would make us equipped, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is pleasing in his sight. And friends, we've touched on this repeatedly throughout this study. The call here is for us to get out of ourselves. And that is, that is a huge thing that within our culture that we need to understand as believers. Our culture will try and tell us, it's about me. It's about me. It's about my life. It's about what I want. And I get to go for whatever it is that I want. And Scripture says, it's about him and what he wants.
And he's calling us to something different than a culture and a world system that's on a self-destructive path. So now he's calling us out of that. And then to live for him and in him as he equips us. He will use us to help others come out of the darkness also. But it's about him and his will. And notice this. Uh, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, because it's all about him, to whom be glory forever and ever. And looking at that, we just got, we got to touch on it one more time. Because in chapter 1, we saw how Jesus Christ created the ages. He created the eons. He was the one through which created time and space in which all of this hangs and in which we have this existence. And then we saw in chapter 12 that he was, or or no, just earlier in this chapter, excuse me, that Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever, through the eons. Again, same word in the original language, that he hasn't changed. So he created what we see. He hasn't changed from the beginning of what we see and on into when what we see has been transformed yet again and made new. But notice this, this one who created the eons, sustains the eon, remains the same in the eons, to whom be glory forever and ever is worthy of glory throughout the eons. It's about him being glorified, him being magnified. Isn't that an interesting thing? He created it. He sustains it and doesn't change within it. And throughout the entire time, God has ordained that he would receive glory. Again, it's not about you and me. Isn't that a magnificent truth? And then, after asking for prayer, verse 18, offering this prayer, verse 20 to 21, about God's working in our lives, I find it kind of intriguing that the last thing he says on this topic, which has really been his topic for the entire epistle, And I appeal to you, brethren, bear with the word of exhortation, for I have written to you in few words. Having just described or offered this prayer that God would transform us so that Christ would be glorified and we'd be equipped to do the things that God's called us to do, he then says, now, I appeal to you. Bear with the word of exhortation, for I have written to you in few words. Now, it seems like we've been in it since September of 2016. seems like a lot of words. But he understands there's so much more that could be said. But he then encourages them. What I have been telling you, and throughout this discussion, he has repeatedly brought them back to this idea. He has brought them back to this idea. Do not let go of Jesus Christ. Hang on to him for all he's worth. Do not separate yourself from that. If you have not yet come into a full understanding of a personal knowledge of him, enter into that. Don't miss that. And if you are there, never give it up, regardless of how difficult your circumstances are, because their circumstances are difficult. He's writing to people who are going through difficult circumstances, who some are tempted, as with the with the um, parable of the soil, some who are tempted under the harsh conditions to give it up and say, man, it was easier living under the old covenant. It was easier living in a context where I didn't have to suffer for my faith. 
And he's saying throughout the epistle, never let go of this. And he finishes with this last word. I appeal to you, brethren, bear with the word of exhortation, for I have written to you in few words. I know that I have repeatedly said, don't give it up. I'm asking you one last time. Hear what I've had to say. One last time. Don't miss what is here. That devotion to Jesus Christ, his lordship alone is the thing that will sustain us through this life on into eternity and the only thing for which we will ultimately give praise and thanksgiving. Everything else we've given our lives to will ultimately just burn up. So he says, don't miss on this. And he gives that one last little exhortation. Listen to what I've said. Take it seriously. So friends, here's what I find intriguing about this as we now move towards the Lord's table. One, touched on it, brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead. His body was broken. Through the blood of the everlasting covenant, it was through his blood that was shed for us that this covenant was made and by which we have eternal life. So it relates directly to what we're about to experience, but also time-wise, just where we're at on the calendar, that we're wrapping up this book of Hebrews with this understanding that through these things, God is doing a transforming work in us, and he is equipping us. But here's the catch. God's ready to equip us. That's not a question. Are we willing to receive the word of exhortation? You see, the breakdown in this equation, God equips and we then go out and do the work that he desires. The breakdown is not on the God equipped side. The breakdown is, are we willing to go out and do the work he desires? So at the end of 2017, is this not a great place to finish this book? As we come to the Lord's table, as we consider these verses, in fact, I thought to myself, these verses would make... They'd make a great yearly theme for us. Is to use these for all of 2018 as a theme. But is it not a great place as we come to the Lord's table now just to say, Lord, like I get it. You want to equip me for your work, for your will. And the word encourages me to receive this. Father, where am I fighting you? Lord, reveal to me that place where I am, I am hindering the work of the Holy Spirit that wants to transform me into Christ's likeness that I might be even more effective for your kingdom. Lord, where is it that I am just hanging on to the sin, to the flesh, to my own way? And Lord, begin a work in me. Help me be honest with what's there and begin a work in me and do a work in me that, that enables me to come to that place where I give it up and say, Lord, I've got, I got to yield this up to you because I want to hear this word of exhortation, because I want to be equipped, because I want to be effective in 2018. Is that a great place to finish the year with the Lord's table? This book, I trust God has been in that. And I trust he will meet with us in these, uh, in these next moments as we share in these elements together. Amen? Amen.